0: Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, this is Taylor Vipolis, and on this episode of the podcast, I'll be doing a mailbag of your questions I received on Twitter about both UNC football and basketball. First half of the podcast, I'll answer football questions and then get to basketball in the second half. With this being the first podcast of the year, I just wanted to take a moment to say Thank you to everyone who listens or watches anything that I do. Last week at the Military Bowl, I can't begin to tell you how many people came up to me saying that they listen to this podcast or that they like my videos or they just love following me on Twitter. All of that attention is still surreal to me from fans wanting to tell me their stories like the one lifelong UNC fan I met in Annapolis from the Baltimore area who the military bowl was his first time ever attending a UNC football game after 40, 50 plus years and how excited he was to finally see Carolina play to the fans that asked me for pictures. No joke. I was standing on the sidelines probably 10 feet away from Miss USA 2020, who was, I think she was like the ball ambassador for the game. And more people were coming up to me asking me for pictures. Just think about what I said for a second right there and how crazy that sounds. More people were asking somebody who played football at North Carolina and had zero catches for zero yards than somebody who was just crowned Miss USA 2020. That is, that is just crazy. And, I know I wouldn't be where I am today without this fan base. And I'm just grateful for each and every one of you supporting me along my journey. So, you know, before we get too emotional here, let me just wish you all a happy new year. And now let's get to your questions. Football first. J. Matthew Martin asked, any more coaching changes expected from football? Views on why coach is making coaching changes. Yeah, so if you missed the news coming out of Carolina football, Scott Boone, UNC special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach, was let go by Coach Brown after just one season. And I think the simple reason for why he was let go is UNC special teams, they weren't really good. I think their outside linebacker group underperformed as an overall unit. So I think Coach Brown is just looking to get the most out of his team and out of his coaching staff. And if he sees somebody who's not fit, he's not going to keep them around. You know, he's not all buddy buddy with these guys. And he's not afraid to to make a move and make some changes in Chapel Hill. Coach Brown, he is very clear what what he's trying to do at North Carolina he's trying to build this team into a team like Clemson he's trying to build a team that can be in national title contention and if he sees a coach isn't going to get there he has no problem letting them go and I think that was what this move was you look at some of the stats where UNC ranked in special teams statistically and they're in the bottom half of the ACC, you know, 6th in the conference in kickoff returns, 8th in touchback percentage, ninth in punt cover, ninth in kickoff cover, ninth in field goal percentage, 10th in the ACC in punt returns, and 13th in punting. So, you know, those numbers, when you have a coach who's dedicated to just special teams. Now, when I was at North Carolina, Coach Fedora broke it up into, you know, he was on the punt return team which was probably the best punt return unit in the entire country. But Coach Fedora broke it up to – there was in a position coach for each unit. But the way I'm under the assumption North Carolina is handling it is that this special teams coordinator is handling it all. And North Carolina, you could hear just from those numbers that they underperformed. And I could think of a couple games right off the top of my where Special teams played a huge role in why Carolina lost. And I can't really think of too many where special teams made a difference and made that one game-changing play where Carolina won a game. Right off the top of my head, App State, they had a field goal blocked. Virginia Tech, you missed a game-winning kick in overtime. You're not going to get too many chances with special teams to make that game-changing play. And when Carolina needed them to make that in 2019, more often than not, they failed. I thought their field goal operations team was very poor in the beginning of the season. It looked like, you know, nobody knew who they were blocking or nobody had the same sense of urgency that the rest of the team had. And it cost them games. And then you look at the outside linebackers and yeah, this was their first year in coach Bateman's system, but overall, I would say that outside linebacker room underperformed outside of a guy like Tamon Fox and, maybe a guy like Alan Cater who had stretches throughout the year where he looked really good. But I think Coach Brown is looking for somebody who could take those guys in that room and, you know, unlock their potential and get them to another level. A guy like Chris Collins, who two years ago played a lot on that 2-9 and team, whatever that Carolina team was, he was a guy coming into camp last year that I was that I highlighted and thought he was a guy who showed a lot of promise the year prior, and he didn't do anything this year. So for this next coach, I think first and foremost, I think you have to get a guy who could coach the outside linebackers because if Carolina really wanted to break up special teams, they could, but under the assumption that this person's also going to be the special teams coordinator, I think first and foremost, you have to get somebody who could get the most out of your outside linebackers. You have a guy like Taman Fox coming back. You have a guy like Chris Collins who's coming off two years where you're still trying to see what he could be. Hopper is another good guy who's going to be in that rotation. You have a guy like Des Evans coming in. So you have a lot of talent in that room. You have a lot of potential in that room. Now it's finding somebody who can unlock that potential and get your guys performing at a high level. And finally, I think the person that you bring in in that spot has to be able to recruit. Now, I don't follow recruiting as close as Don Callahan, who is the absolute goat when it comes to recruiting. But from from my eye and from what I saw, I don't think Coach Boone had too big of an imprint on this recruiting class. I don't think he was the make or break guy for any of these guys, like somebody like Coach Brewster or like coach galloway or or like a dre Bly, i don't think he was going into recruits living rooms and blowing them away so i think for carolina's next hire you have to get somebody who can be that ace recruiter and be somebody who could coach your linebackers and be somebody who could coach your special teams up to where they're not the ones who are costing you games the next question is from roy mcavoy he says will carolina be ranked heading into 2020 is it good or bad to be ranked going into the season? I don't think Carolina is going to be ranked going into the season. It's it's tough to imagine a team that finished 7 and 6 being ranked just because there's so many there's so many good teams in college football and I think to get into that top 25 you really have to be elite. But Carolina does have a lot of good things going for them. You finish the year 3 and 0, you finish the year with three straight wins. Three straight double-digit wins. Come next year, the the bowl performance is going to be on a lot of people's minds. I think they're going to see a lot of the production that's returning. In college football, we've seen that. The quickest way to go from an average program to an elite program is to have an elite quarterback. And right now, I think North Carolina has that in Sam Howe. When you're looking at the numbers he did and what kind of stats he put up in his true freshman season, there's no question that he's a top 10 quarterback right now at this level. So I think a lot of the voters will keep that in mind and see the potential of this Carolina team. They're returning something like 10 of 11 offensive starters, a lot of talent coming back on the defensive side of the ball, Mac Brown's building some stability here in Chapel Hill. And and I think those are all things that the voters will will keep in mind when they're making the rankings. But I just have a hard time putting a team that was seven and six in my top 25 for next year. Um, they could be in the others receiving votes. You win that UCF game, then sure, you know, they're, they're proving that what they were building towards the end of the last year, they kept that momentum through the spring, through the summer, and into their first game and heading into the Auburn game. I, I would – if Carolina's 1-0 and after UCF, I would say they're ranked going into week two, but I don't think Carolina is going to be ranked going into week one. So I don't think it's a bad thing or a good thing. If Carolina is ranked, I think it just matters how they come into the season, ready to play, ready to prove to people that how they finished 2019 is the team that they plan to be all of 2020. Like Buck says, it's, it's more important where you're ranked at the end of the season than where you are at the beginning. I'm sure 100% of UNC fans would rather be playing in the ACC championship in December than be ranked against UCF. Roy also asked, the biggest area to improve in the off season. Um, I would say the biggest area of improvement for Carolina has to be the interior of their defensive line. It's Where's that production going to come from without Jason Strobridge, without Aaron Crawford? And how are you going to replace two of your key guys in that locker room? I thought somebody like Jalil Taylor looked really good in the Temple game. And he was playing his best football late in the season. So now it would just be, can he become consistent? Because realistically, you're not going to get the production you were getting from Crawford and Strobridge. So now offensive coordinators, they're not as worried about those two, so it's going to make it tougher on the rest of the defense. But if somebody like Jaleel Taylor, if somebody like a Clyde Pinder can step up right away for Carolina, that would be huge for this defense. Josh asked, what 2020 football signee are you most excited to watch in 2020? who makes the biggest contribution in year one. I think that person's going to be the same recruit and, or the same signing, excuse me. And I think it's going to be Josh Downs coming in at wide receiver in the slot. You listen to how people talk about him and how ahead of the rest of the field he is. That's why I'm really excited to watch him and, I probably have receiver bias, but if you just listen to what people are saying about him at the All-American Bowl, like this one excerpt from 24-7 says, this day wasn't any different from any other day for North Carolina signee Josh Downs. But like every other day, he just continues to get open, whether it's in the flats as an underneath receiver or with deeper breaking routes, Downs is just constantly open. He's particularly dangerous when working across the middle of the field with his speed proving too much for the East defensive backs. The Atlanta area native also showed sure hands throughout the day, and we didn't see many, if any, drops. He's been as steady of a performer all week as it gets. So when I hear that, that gets me excited because Downs is just going to be another weapon for Sam Howell at his disposal. All he does is get open and make plays, so it's going to be hard to see him not contributing immediately. And I think the the playing time is there. You have Bo Corrales and Deami Brown on the outside, and Anton Green and Daz Newsom in the slot. If Daz Newsom comes back, which we'll get to a little later in a question, but if Daz Newsom doesn't come back, Downs starts next year. If Daz Newsom comes back, then. You know, Daz probably plays 75% of the snaps and Downs comes in for the 25%. So defenses are getting extremely tired chasing these North Carolina players around the field. They could beat you over the top. They could beat you underneath to where if Carolina is able to rotate Newsom and Downs, that's a problem for defenses. And I think we started to see it at the end of this year when Carolina was really figuring out who they were as an offense. You look at the last three games for North Carolina and it's not against the best competition because Mercer and NC State are in it, but they score 56 against Mercer. They score 41 against NC State. They score 55 against Temple. This offense was playing its best football late and now you add a guy in like Josh Downs and you don't really lose too much elsewhere and your offense just becomes that much more dangerous. Fifth quarter UNC asks, what's the likelihood of UNC landing the Temple defensive end transfer? So the person fifth quarter is talking about is Quincy Roche from Temple. He was the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He had 44 tackles, and he led the AAC with 18 tackles for a loss and 13 sacks. And he announced after the Military Bowl that His intention was to not go into the NFL draft, but to transfer to play out the rest of his career at another school. And the thought process there is he's had a great career at Temple, but if he goes to a power five level school now and has the same kind of season or somewhat near the same kind of season that he just had, that he could play himself into the first, second round of the NFL draft right off the bat. I think North Carolina has a chance just because he saw the blueprint for what this North Carolina team is building in the military bowl. He got a firsthand view of how good this Carolina team could be. And you, you saw Mac Brown talk to him post game and Mac is a Mac is a person that when he starts talking, people are listening. This is going to be a guy who has essentially every team in the country going after him. So I don't think you could say what are Carolina's chances because every team in the country is going to be going after this guy. But if we've seen anything from the 2020 recruiting classes that when Mac Brown gets in your living room and when Mac Brown gets you to campus, these people are willing to listen and buy into what he's building. Roche follows Mac Brown on Twitter. He follows uh, – He follows Brewster on Twitter. He follows Cross on Twitter. I think he might follow Bateman on Twitter. So he's obviously in contact with these UNC coaches. It's just going to be a thing that, you know, can Carolina beat out some of these other teams that are for sure going to have the same amount of interest? Schools like Florida State, schools like Tennessee, schools like Florida. There's going to be a lot. You name a program, they're probably going to be interested in the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He's a guy who can contribute right away at a very high level. Jason on Twitter asked, are we pretty sure all the juniors are staying around? So he's talking about both Chaz Surratt and Daz Newsom, who, as far as I know, they haven't announced that they are coming back or that they are going to the NFL draft. I think both those guys still have a decision to make. I think a guy like Daz Newsom should come back. I think a guy like Chaz Surratt should come back. Um, In Daz's case, just looking at him, you look at Chaz's brother, Sage Surratt, who was outside the top 10 receivers and he decided to come back. And I think, I think Sage actually had a, a bigger decision of should I stay or should I go to where if I'm Daz Newsome, you know, I'm not really thinking about going into the NFL draft and because I think right now Daz would be like a a seventh round undrafted type guy. So it's it's up to him whether he wants to bank on himself, bank on making a practice squad or being one of the last people on a roster because he could try to do some things on special teams, return kicks, return punts, be that slot guy. But some people, they just don't want to play college football anymore. And they want to start collecting paychecks from the next level. And I know a guy like Daz who, who has a daughter. He has other people to consider into his decision than the average 20, 21-year-old player coming out of college. So if he's, if he's fine with banking on himself and banking on being uh, an undrafted free agent and then just saying, I know what I could do and trust my talents, then that might be the route he goes. But if he does stay around one year, I think that would help his draft stock because this year at wide receiver, the draft is absolutely loaded. Even next year, I don't think he would play himself into a, the top three rounds. Um, so it's it's really how much do you see your, your value going up and how much do you want to start collecting paychecks now and bank on yourself? But then a guy like Chaz Surratt, I think the biggest thing for his decision is he has to consider – what losing Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford will do to his game because those guys were taking up a ton of attention from offenses and it was allowing Chaz to make a lot of one-on-one plays with the running backs or with the quarterbacks or with these players in space. So now when you lose Strobridge and you lose Crawford, now offensive linemen, they're one-on-one with the defensive linemen and now those extra O-linemen can be going up to the second level and a lot of offensive coordinators are gonna tell their guys, hey, we have to know where 21 is. We have to know where Surrat is. So is Surratt comfortable with the idea of offense's game planning around him? Does he think he could replicate the success he had this year with more attention on him? Because if if Serrat replicates the success he had this year again next year in North Carolina, he's a he's at least a second round pick. I don't think there should be any doubt about that. The athleticism that kid has is unbelievable. And then if he just has the production to match it, NFL teams are going to be drooling over it. So neither of them have decided if they're going to come back or not. But I think both of them, it would be wise for them to come back and and try to improve their stock. And of course, if, if those two come back, this Carolina team could be uh, very dangerous in 2020. Blake asks... Do you think Jace Ruder will transfer with Criswell coming in and Sam Howell having the season he had? Um no, I, I don't think Ruder will transfer. I don't think it's, you know, fair to speculate whether or not a player will transfer um because right now Jace Ruder is 100% committed to North Carolina. He was by all accounts a great teammate last year. He really helped Sam Howell in that quarterback room. You have to wonder, you know, does Sam Howell have the success he has last year if if a guy like Reuter is not there to kind of help him along in his process and then just from a game standpoint I think if Jace Ruder could stay healthy Carolina will work him into packages I think that was the plan this year but once once he gets hurt you know that kind of throws that that plan off I think with a guy like Reuter if you put him in those red zone opportunities and show that he could be a really good running threat that just takes Carolina's offense to a whole new level. Eric from Greenville says he wants to hear me talk about how good UNC can be on offense next season and what they're losing and what they're gaining. So right off the bat, what they're gaining, like I mentioned, a player like Josh Downs, what they're losing. It's a guy like Charlie Heck who, was the anchor for this young offensive line. And a guy like Nick Polina, who his playing time wasn't as much as a guy like Charlie Heck, but he was just as important in that locker room for those young guys. So Carolina's losing those two off the offensive line. And then in terms of you know players that caught passes last year, you're not really losing too much. You're losing Jake Vargas and Carl Tucker, who don't get enough credit for, how good they were in Carolina's run game. But those are two seniors that you're losing. You have to to try to find ways to replace them. So it would be more Garrett Walson who did well in the run game. And then you have a guy like Kamari Morales. But I think this UNC offense can be a top 25 offense. Like I said earlier, you have a top 10 quarterback in Sam Howell. You have Javante Williams coming back. You have Michael Carter coming back. Jos Henderson replaces Antonio Williams as the third back. All your receivers should be coming back. Yami Brown, I think he's a -- I think he's going to be one of the best receivers in college football with a guy like Sam Howe. And then you have a young offensive line and trying to figure out how to replace guys like Charlie Heck and Nick Polina. but yeah, I think Carolina's offense is a top 25 offense. Lyle asks, what are realistic expectations we should have for the 2020 football team? I think nine wins is very realistic for this North Carolina team next year. Just looking at their schedule, I think UNC should win the opener at UCF. Auburn is going to be a toss-up game. If you would have asked me this time last year, what do I think about the the 2020 matchup against Auburn without Crawford, without Strowbridge, I probably would have said UNC's in trouble. But now I think this Carolina team, the way they close the season out, if that's who they're gonna be, they can hang with just about anybody. And I think that game in Atlanta is gonna be a toss up. You go further down the schedule, you have games like James Madison and Yukon, and those should be the easiest of wins. Boston College, I, they're going to have a new coach next year. They're losing their running back, A.J. Dillon. Duke, I don't think – I think Carolina is well on their way to blowing past Duke and NC State. So I think those those should be wins. At Miami, it's – who knows? Who knows what this Miami team is, but I don't think they're good. And every year they get the benefit of the doubt because – they're Miami and they have the U on their helmets. But until Manny Diaz starts putting results on the field, it's it's hard to say that Carolina should lose that game in Miami Gardens. You have Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, year two in his system. They'll be better than they were this year. They also have a top 25 recruiting class. But I still think they're years away from being a contender. Pitt, they're always tough under Narduzzi, Virginia Tech. They'll always give UNC their best game. And then at Virginia, who finally loses Bryce Perkins, who's been a thorn in UNC's side for the past two years. You go through that schedule and there really isn't one game where you say, oh, that's a definite loss. And even in that game last year for Carolina, the Clemson game, Carolina had a two-point conversion to win the game. So realistically, I think nine wins would be great for this team. I think realistically, winning the coastal is well within reach to the point where I would even say Carolina could be the favorite to win the coastal. And then going off that question, Alden asked, What are the chances Carolina wins the coastal in 2020? What needs to happen in order to hang with Clemson? So, the first part of that question, I would say the chances Carolina wins the coastal are pretty good. Right now, if I had a breakdown, the coastal and how I would project it. I would say Carolina wins it maybe 40% of the time. And then the second part of that question is what needs to happen in order to hang with Clemson? I think that's a much, much tougher task for this North Carolina team. And basically I think it comes down to Mac Brown can recruit top 15 recruiting classes, top 20 recruiting classes, Now those players have to play like a top 15, top 20 recruiting class because Coach Fedora was getting top 30 recruiting classes, but towards the end of his tenure, those guys weren't playing like a top 30 recruiting class. So first off, Mac Brown has to get the most out of these recruits and his coaching staff has to get the most out of these recruits and these commits once they're actually on campus. And once you build a couple of successful seasons where those guys are playing up to their rankings and, You are top 15 class, then you bump into the top 10, the top five recruiting class range, similar to how Clemson did it. And another big key to that is you need staff continuity. Now, I'm not talking about losing your special teams coordinator or even losing a position coach, but you have Mac Brown as your head coach, you have Jay Bateman as your defensive coordinator, you have Phil Longo as your offensive coordinator. If those three guys can stay and build something in Chapel Hill. That's how you become a Clemson type program. Because I don't think it's going to work if say North Carolina has a great season next year and Jay Bateman becomes. And then you're bringing in a new defensive coordinator and learning a whole new defensive system and or Phil Longo leaves and you have to learn a whole new offensive system. I think those are the things that kind of set programs back where you have to relearn a new system so if this carolina team can stay on track if they could keep learning the same system year in and year out and their recruits play up to where they are in their rankings then i think that's how carolina can hang with clemson eventually you know five six years down the road but it's it's a steep steep uphill battle Let's take a quick break so I can remind everyone about Johnny T-Shirt, the store that has been serving Carolina fans in Chapel Hill since 1983. They've got all your winter gear now that the weather is getting colder and also all the Carolina basketball apparel your heart could ever desire. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill for any reason, maybe you're going to a basketball game, visit them on Franklin Street or online at johnnytshirt.com. Johnny T-shirt has a bunch of great gear. They even have the Military Bowl T-shirt still available. And now that Carolina won that game in blowout fashion, why don't you buy it to commemorate Mac Brown's first season back in Chapel Hill? Nobody wants a shirt from a bowl game that you lost, and you have to look at it and and remind yourself about losing. But now that Carolina won that game, why don't you go out and buy it? And don't forget, Inside Carolina subscribers save 10% off their order. All right, let's get to the basketball questions. All right, for the basketball questions, the one I got a couple of times that I'll try to answer in one all centers around Armando. And it's just, do I think Armando is a one and done player? Do I see him coming back? And I think a player like Armando would obviously be better suited coming back for a year or two, but I don't think that's how he necessarily views himself. I think when he came to Carolina, in his mind, it was one and done and he's got his mind set on the NBA next year. And sometimes when a player views themselves as a one and done, there's very little you could do to change their mind. I think that's kind of the way Tony Bradley looked at it, where he was just going to bet on himself after one year and wherever he wound up, he was going to Prove to the NBA that he belonged there. And I think the NBA is drafting strictly on potential and where they could see you. Because I don't think a guy like Armando can contribute right now at the NBA level. He He's struggling at North Carolina right now. So it's it's hard to see how he could be a one and done type player and how he wouldn't be better suited to come back next year to prove he can put together consistent games. But if he views himself as a one-and-done and and he'd rather play in, say, the G League next year than Chapel Hill, then there's very little that I think North Carolina could do. But I think he – it's hard to not say he hasn't been a disappointment this year because you look at some of the games he put up and 2 of 14 against Watford, 1 of 6 against Gonzaga, 0 for 5 from the field against Yale – Outside of the Oregon game, I think that's the Mondo all UNC fans thought they were going to get game in and game out. And until he could put together those games like Oregon on a consistent basis, I don't see how he could leave after this year. But it's, a, it's again, a situation where if he wants to bank on himself, and, and then that's just what he's going to do. And there's very little that people could say to convince him otherwise. But then if he does come back all of a sudden in this hypothetical situation, you are looking at a very deep front court with Sharp and with Kessler and Mondo and Garrison Brooks being a senior. And if you look at any of Carolina's championship teams, like it starts in the front court. It start, with Roy Williams and his system, it starts in the front court. You look at the 2009 championship team, you had Ed Davis, you had Tyler Zeller, you had psycho T those three right there you were getting a ton of production from them and the thing I like about that team was it was a good balance of you had a freshman in Ed Davis you had a freshman in Tyler Zeller then you had a senior in Hansborough you look at the the 2016-2017 national championship team and it was it was a lot of the same you had two seniors and Meeks and Hicks And then you had the freshman in Tony Bradley where you were getting a good balance of experience and, and these young guys. So it's hard to project what the front court would look like next year. And you know, who starts and who comes off the bench because I don't think Roy Williams is not playing favorites. He's going to evaluate the team during the summer with whoever's on his roster. And he's going to play the five guys. He best believes it's going to give him a chance. He's not somebody who's going to come in and promise you playing time and promise you a certain amount of minutes. And that's the thing I think everybody loves about Roy. It's you earn your minutes in North Carolina. And then another thing with Mondo is, does he want to compete with those guys next year? Because those guys are coming to prove that they should be playing in the next level. So with a guy like Mondo, you're bringing in these even more talented players because he doesn't really have anybody pushing him right now. Carolina doesn't have that front court depth that it would need to push somebody like Monda. So if he sees those guys coming in next year and those guys are going to come in ready to play. So that could also factor into his choice of whether or not he wants to come back or not. And then one of the other questions is, where does that leave Sterling Manley? I think the biggest thing for Sterling Manley is just to show that he is healthy and he can play basketball at this level i think his health is a huge concern at this point you don't really know what you're going to get from him if you're going to get anything but you have to trust that he is working behind the scenes to do everything in his power to get back on this court and to prove to all the fans why he got recruited here and why he should be in roy's rotation because man those injuries they really take a toll on you from somebody who played football and tore my acl You know, those injuries take a toll on you mentally. So first off for Sterling, I just want to see him get back healthy. All right, let's take one last quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. Okay, we're back. Will Hardesey says, should Brandon Robinson become our go-to scorer? How should we change our offense if he does become the go-to guy? I don't think B-Rob should be the go-to scorer. I don't think Carolina has somebody on this roster currently with Cole Anthony sidelined where you could look at them and say they are a go-to scorer. And that's and that's the way Roy's system really is and really has been for as long as he's been coaching. Now, I think there, there were times going back to like my senior season where North Carolina played through Bryce Johnson and it's hard not to play through somebody like Bryce Johnson who's, who was scoring the ball at such an amazing rate and working so well off a guy like Marcus Page. But if you look at this team right now, they don't have a go-to score. They don't have a Bryce Johnson who could get the ball in the post and put his back to the basket and give you a consistent 20 plus every night. That was the thing about Bryce. You knew every night going into the game, he was good for at least 20 plus. Then going into the next season, the national championship season, Carolina had a lot of go-to scores. Joel Berry could get you a bucket. Justin Jackson could get you a bucket. Kennedy Meeks could have a great game in the post and score a ton of points down low. This Carolina team, it feels like you have no idea where their points are going to be coming from. And I don't think all of a sudden you could just start going to Brandon Robinson and saying, get me 15 plus a game. I don't think that's realistic for this team. I don't think it's fair to a guy like Brandon Robinson, who you're trying to take him out out of his comfort zone. Um, so I think this North Carolina team is going to have to start playing really good team basketball. And the biggest thing for them is just continuing to build the continuity of guys who have never played with each other and just having them get more comfortable, which is why I like a guy like Jeremiah Francis so much because he's a team first guy. He's trying to get everybody involved. He doesn't do too much to try to create for himself, but he's, he's creating for others. And that's what Carolina needs. And when you have a guy like Jeremiah Francis creating for others, then it's up to the other guys to hit those shots. So I think Carolina needs more players that can create for others instead of finding a go-to score. I think that's the bigger thing for them is finding somebody who could create for others like a guy like Jeremiah Francis, like a guy like Anthony Harris who you hate how he got injured and how he was playing some of his best basketball the past couple of games. But Carolina needs more guys like that. Ray Little asked, Should Cole Anthony play the two when Francis is in a lot more off the ball movement by the team when Cole's not the primary ball handler? I think that would be Carolina's best option in the backcourt, a backcourt of Francis and Anthony, because Francis is a guy who is comfortable with the ball in his hands. He could create for others and it takes a lot less pressure off Cole Anthony. And one of the problems with a guy like Cole Anthony is he has the ball for so long that your your teammates can kind of fall into a lull when they're just standing around watching you dribble or watching you try to create offense for yourself so I think putting the ball in a guy like Jeremiah Francis's hand it'll make everybody else involved in the offense a lot more sometimes Carolina's best offense has just been to let Cole Anthony kind of freelance and try to take over a game but when he goes down, you kind of see how detrimental that could be to a team when it's a lot of guys who aren't confident with the ball. It's a lot of guys who aren't confident in their shots, and you need more players like Jeremiah Francis who are trying to get other players involved. So I think that would be the best backcourt for Carolina. Francis at the one, Cole Anthony playing off ball at the two. Chris Nichols asks, thoughts on going to a smaller lineup in B-ball, splitting time between Brooks and Mondo at the five? Yeah, I think splitting those guys up could be an option. I think the way Mondo has been playing right now, you you have to try something else. And there really isn't too many options for Roy to go to. But when you look at the Yale game, the best front court was Pierce and Brooks. So maybe trying that out. But then, you know, where did the other three players come into play? Because you had a guy like Harris – who was playing so well and now he goes down. So now you're looking at Jeremiah Francis, who's coming off a lot of work on his knees and how comfortable are you expanding his minutes and pushing him. There really isn't too many options for North Carolina and this team because every time it feels like they have something going, that player goes down. The grad transfers have been underwhelming in their performances or Mondo has been underwhelming in his performances. So this is something, this is tough because I think Roy sitting on that bench and sitting in his office, knowing that there isn't too many moves he can make where all of a sudden this team is going to go from the level we've seen them at this year to a level of a team that looks like they can win the ACC championship. And I think that's got to be frustrating for a coach who, who, the program that he's built since he's been here has been one where becoming an ACC champion is almost like a standard. And I don't think Carolina has too many options right now on their roster to become that ACC champion level. Pierce and Brooks together in the Yale game, they were plus nine in 22 minutes. So I think that's a front court that you should see more going forward because right now Mondo is just it's just not working. The final question from Mike on Twitter is, who is your player of the decade for UNC basketball? When you look at the decade, there's so many good options to choose from, from this program. Somebody like Joel Berry, who went to two championships and won one championship and was the Final four MVP, a guy like Justin Jackson, who was an ACC player of the year, who also went to two championships and won that one championship where he was clearly the best player on that team for the entire year. But for my best player of the decade, I would go with Marcus Page. And the reason why I go with Marcus is because of how instrumental he was towards the future of Carolina basketball you think about some of those early years with the ncaa investigating the program and that had a chance to really take this program in a downward spiral and marcus was the face of unc when unc really needed the a face of its program and roy roy's always going to be a face of the program but it felt like it needed to be a player leading the way and here was marcus he was a model student in the classroom. He was a model player on the court. And I think without a guy like Marcus Page, it's, it's almost scary to think where this North Carolina program could have went. His freshman and sophomore year, he helped keep this team in contention and keep this team as an attractive option for guys like Justin Jackson and like Theo Pinson and like Kennedy Meeks and all these big recruits that Carolina would wind up getting, I'm not sure how much of that happens if Marcus Page doesn't keep the program afloat for those first couple of years. And then on the court, I think he kind of just sums up what it means to be a North Carolina basketball player. It's it's somebody who's not going to quit. It's somebody who is going to keep fighting till the absolute last second. If you go back and you listen to marcus's senior night speech i think he embodies everything it means to be a tar heel and that's not even talking about all the big shots he hit all the buzzer beaters all the huge games he had so my answer for who would be my player of the decade for carolina basketball it would be marcus page all right everybody thank you for listening keep an eye out on twitter you can follow me at tvipolis sometimes i will put out when i plan to do one of these mailbag type episodes and I appreciate anybody sending in questions and I appreciate anybody listening. And uh, just want to wish you guys again a happy new year and a lot of blessings coming your way. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.